0: This would be the order, invest in your education to reduce your risk and flatten your learning curve, make a decision and then take some action because I see lots of folks that, and like I was one of them, right? You know, they they wanna learn, I love learning, but you you have to have action in order to uh, actually, you know, grow businesses and run businesses. So take some action.
1: Yeah, massive action, right? Are you looking for true personal freedom? The freedom to design a life you truly desire? Then you're absolutely in the right place. True personal freedom comes from when you take 100% responsibility and control of your money and your mind. Here, you're going to learn ideas, tips, and wisdom that's going to help you bridge the gap from where you are now to your dream life in the future. My name is Randy Wilson, and welcome to the Rich Mind Podcast. Okay, everybody, hello, and welcome to the Rich Mind Podcast. And today I have another fantastic guest I have with us today, Alan Stewart. Alan is a successful husband. He's a successful father. He's been a corporate executive for over 20 years. And through his willingness and wantingness to learn different avenues of financial education, He's gotten himself out of the rat race through investments. He's an investor. He's a syndicator. He's all things when it comes to financial education, personal development, getting yourself free from the corporate chains or their golden handcuffs is the way I I like to hear it sometimes too. So super excited about this conversation Alan and I are going to have today. I I know it's going to bring a ton of value. But first off, Alan, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Give everybody just a quick little tidbit as far as just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story, kind of where you've been. We mentioned that you were a corporate executive for a while and then kind of got introduced to some financial education, which kind of set you on a different path. Can you just kind of go down that road a little bit? Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Sure. Happy to. So I was born and raised in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, Um, so native Texan, native North Texan. And... You know, grew up. uh, Parents had a small automotive business, and so I grew up in a family business, small, uh, you know, owner-operator type type thing. And you know, I was taught to study hard and get good grades, and you know, go to college, and you know, get a job. So I went to Texas A&M and I studied engineering. But uh, I always tell people I wasn't a real engineer because I went straight into uh, business consulting with uh, what was then in the 90s. Anderson consulting uh now Accenture so then I had a 20-year career uh in that um, did a lot of travel worked with a lot of smart people uh, a lot of different kinds of companies mainly fortune 500 companies you know and my job there was basically to you know help them either you know make more money solve uh problems reduce risk reduce costs uh so you know just solve problems and provide solutions. So that was that. And I I grew up in that career and I uh, ended up being a, a managing partner. Last firm I was with, I ran uh, Gartner's strategy consulting practice for a few industry verticals in the greater Texas area. So that afforded me to, like I said, meet a whole lot of uh, really cool people and uh, all kinds of industries. Um, but what's really more interesting uh, to me than than all of that is... You know, in 2001, I went to a conference, and that's where I saw Robert Kiyosaki speaking. And he talked about uh his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which had been on only a few years at that time. And instead of investing in, or instead of trading your time for money, you know, how you job, you know, invest in assets to produce cash flow uh, so that over time you can, you know, improve that cash flow and then, you know, get to the point to where you have, more choices of how you spend your time. So, um on the personal side, I've been married a long time, I have two adult children, one's 23 about to graduate uh, from college uh in May and then the other one's 27 and he's actually getting married next month, so lots of uh lots of big changes in the Stewart household, it's exciting. Um so in any case, that's uh and then I and I still live in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area, so I definitely know that uh, Harriet well.
1: And your story resonates so well with mine. And we've talked about that in the past, right? As far as our, our ages, our kids' ages, our length of marriage, all of those things, which is why I love having conversations with you, because not only do I learn, right, but we can relate, right? As far as the, the stages, it's like you're talking about marriages and, and things, right? It all kind of correlates with our, our current families and, and where we've been. So you had that epiphany of back in 2001. Uh, back when you were at that conference, I, I don't know if, if you made the decision at that moment that you' were going to move forward with trying to figure out the passive investing or the financial education piece or was that just kind of the spark that kind of get you started down that 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 journey towards your financial freedom?
0: Sure, that's a great question. Yeah, I would say uh, spark or you know I usually say it's like it was the first light bulb that went off you know of starting my journey to you know true financial education. So it's, it's quite interesting, um, you know, studying engineering. The, the closest I got to to finance stuff was engineering economics. Um, but what's funny is being a business owner and, you know, in the multifamily world is I've actually become really good at reading financial statements and accounting and marketing and, um, and finance and all the things that I, you know, I didn't study, but but, you know, Kiyosaki was talking about was not even stuff that's necessarily, you know, taught in schools because, you know, in schools is like I did exactly what I was you know, taught, like study hard, get good grades, go to good college, study hard, get good grades, go get a good job, climb the corporate ladder. Like, um, but yeah, so that was that was the beginning. And then, you know, so 2001, uh, much different time uh, from today. Uh, you know, things like Zoom that we're talking on right now did not exist. <laughs> Nothing like it had existed. Uh, the availability of information and everything is just so much more available now. So it was really more of a, you know, where do you, you know, it was a little more of a person to person thing. So where do you live? And then I was like, well, how do I, how do I get started in this? Because the idea was, well, I want to go get some, some rental houses. But, you know, I was, I was scared uh, just like, you know, anybody is it something I didn't understand. And, you know, it takes money to do these things and do things that I'm, you know, not, not used to doing. Uh, you know, so I was looking for, you know, a mentor to hold my hand, I guess, to, you know, through it, but it's like, I was kind of wired this way. It's going back to consulting. It's like, I was either, you know, helping clients make more money, reduce costs or reduce risk. And so for me, It was like I was looking for that, you know, consultant or mentor, you know, to help me that had been there and done that. Well, um, you know, I guess I'm a slow learner because it took (laughs) 11 years of, um, you know, trying this out, going to these conferences, you know, trying things. You know, there was a lot of fear uh, along the way of just, you know, taking that next step. And you know, along the way, you know, I met a couple of gurus that turned out to be, you know. Not not really any substance. And so, and then I also took a turn at single family wholesaling because I got introduced to a mentor that was doing that. And so I took a turn at that. And, um, you know, I'd say that, you know, through that 11 years, I learned a lot. You know, I made some mistakes, um, but I learned a lot. And I just kept on staying engaged, you know, just trying to define. So it was you know, on the weekends, I'm always listening to. Now, I'm sure it sounds pretty dorky, but on the weekends I'd listen to AM radio because that's where all the investment talk shows and things would be on the weekend, and so you know that that's how I got the information. And then um, I finally got introduced to uh, a local company that uh, invests in rental real estate, and that's where I got introduced to multifamily. So I always thought that you know, some rich guy or some big corporation owns apartment, big apartment buildings. And it turns out that it's mostly owned just like people like you and I that are, uh, you know, pull their money together and buy an asset together. So um, that was kind of the the journey. Uh, again, you know, 11 years and so if I think back now, so that's been, I guess, 22 years since that first light bulb went off. Uh, but really in 2012, I would say that's the second light bulb of like, okay, this is really what I'm going to do. makes sense. And I went all in. And so it was, you know, early mornings, late nights, weekends, lunch, you know, doing what I could do to, you know, build a portfolio and both on the active side and the, uh, the passive side. And, you know, after six years of that, I was able to, um, you know, quote unquote, retire from my corporate executive job and and do this full time. And that's now been five years ago. Well, five years coming up here in uh, just a couple months. And you know, it was kind of a leap of faith. It was also scared to do it because you know I've always been a W two employee, and you know I had to figure out you know all the things with that. But uh, you know, said so I'll give myself one to two years to really make a go out of it because I already had, you know, some good success leading up to that. And uh, you know, here I am. So I'm blessed to own my schedule again. As you can imagine, uh, my Outlook calendar was full of all kinds of (laughs) meetings. And um so I'm blessed to have that. And then also in the entrepreneurial world is just a really cool world, as you know. I mean, that's like this is how, you know, we met and I've met people from all walks of life and industries and and backgrounds and you know they're just you know cool people that you can learn from so you know i really appreciate you know that side of it as well
1: yeah it's a ton of fun it's amazing how once you step into it how wide or even maybe even narrow might be the the better word as far as like you jump in and how many folks there are to help you to support you do we're all going kind of going through the same stuff it's like you talked about your five year since you've left your w2 world right so at some point we've all been there been that done that right and as far as navigating that okay what do i need to do how do i need to do it um and it's fun to bounce ideas off of each other support each other um it's a ton of fun uh, it's exciting it can be uh stressful but at the same time it's uh, to have control versus being in control or being controlled uh i think is is probably the most important piece of that for sure
0: absolutely Great. definitely
1: so, dumping into the, uh, I always like to ask three questions. Try to get a little bit more uh, information as far as to help some uh, the guests get a little bit more feeling for who you are as a person and as an investor and that kind of thing. And the first question I always like to ask is, "Who's been the biggest influence on your life?"
0: Yeah, I would say um, my parents. You know, and and from them, I mean, I was I was very fortunate to have two parents. You know, they're still married to this day. They they brought us up in the church and, you know, they were, you know, small business owners uh, that worked hard. Challenges came along for sure and saw them, you know, dig in and persevere, figure things out. And, you know, also I would say about, you know, doing things um, right the first time. So part of their business was uh, automotive repair. and you know, when you take your car and you get repaired, you, you want to say, hey, what's wrong with it? What's it going to cost to fix it? How long is it going to take to fix it? And then when it's, when you pay the money, it needs to be what we talked about and you want it to be stay fixed. So done right the first time. So, you know, that's what I, you know, grew up doing. And um, that's really kind of gone through how I always approach things. You know, I, sometimes I'm not the the fastest person, but, you know, I really do want to do things, um, the right way. And, you know, with excellence and I would say my, my parents gave me, uh, all of those things.
1: That's fantastic. Good for you. That's awesome. And I know that that carries over into everything that you do, uh, with your current businesses and with your family and that type of thing as well, from the conversations that we've had. So that's, that's fantastic. So moving on then your greatest challenge. Can you think of a great challenge? It can be an investment challenge. It can be a W2 challenge. It could be a marital challenge. It could be anything. Can you think of a challenge that uh, you've had to go through that, uh, and what you've learned from it? Can you think of anything that's been pretty impactful?
0: Sure. Well, there's plenty. Uh, I mean, the one, the one that, uh, pops into my head first. So I was, um, new freshman in college and, uh, My now wife, but then my girlfriend, Um, we didn't plan on it, but she ended up getting pregnant. And so you can imagine we're both uh, very scared. And, um, but you know, coming through that process, I would say the best decision that, you know, we've ever made was choosing life. You know, it's my son um, that's 27 now that's about to get married and couldn't imagine not having him uh in our life. So, you know, there was lots of challenges associated with that. Um but you know, it just it kind of showed me uh <laughs> you know, early age in college of like, all right, well, challenges challenges can be overcome. You just have to show up every day and do what you need to do. So like for us it was you know, go to school, study hard, get good grades, you know, balance our schedules out, you know, take care of our son, you know, go to church, um, you know, and just do what we needed to do. And, uh, you know, we were blessed to, to be able to get through, um, you know, all of that. I couldn't imagine it being any other way because, you know, this is my my life now and I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine not. But that's. Uh, that's that's certainly one thing that stands out.
1: Yeah, at that age, I can remember uh, my wife and I were dating about that time as well, and I can't fathom the idea. Right? I mean, that's just something that is always probably in your mind, whether or not you're really thinking about it or not. But yeah, for it to come true and be reality and to go through that, I'm sure is definitely a challenging moment. But then, like you said, now you're on the verge of marrying him. Right? He's going to have a wedding here coming up very soon, and mm-hmm. what life would have been without that decision, that, that adversity that you would have had. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe what could have been, uh, had you gone a different path. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yep. That's awesome. Agreed. So if you could go back, one thing I love to do on the podcast is I love trying to help the folks that are just, you know, maybe a few rungs behind in the ladder, as far as they, they see the potential for some different things going on in their life, whether it be from an investment standpoint, or even leaving the W2 world or anything like that. So if you could go back to that 20 year old self, probably almost very similar to the time frame about that twenty two thousand and one time frame, right? If you could go back to that person today, and through your experiences that you've had up to this moment, right? All the adversities, all those things. Can you think of a nugget of of wisdom that you would have wished that you would have had back then that you would definitely want to share with yourself and that younger self from today?
0: Yeah, from a financial standpoint, I kind of have alluded to it, but um, so I guess in 01, I must have been like 25, 26. You know, again, I was taught to study hard, get grades, get a good job. And then I was also taught to invest in your 401k in stocks and bonds, well, I would say um, I learned from you know Kiyosaki going back to you know in general. I think investing in the stock market is speculation, and instead, you know, and and I got hit really really hard in my four hundred one k, which was you know all the savings I had in the world uh, in both two thousand one and two thousand eight. So you would say again, I was kind of a, a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know since then I've I've divested of all of that and that's actually how I got started uh in multifamily so investing in assets that you know produce cash flow and have you know real tangible uh value hard assets um but just high level it doesn't have to necessarily be you know multifamily it's just you know don't don't speculate you know something something, you know, looks like it's easy because in my time, you know, late nights is dot-com time. So it's like, oh, it's just all you have to do is just invest in, you know, this stock or that stock and everything will go up. Well, that's all fine until the market crashes and it, you know, goes down. And it's just speculation, right? I mean, you know, I I have no control over any of those companies that, you know, I was invested in. So when times go bad, you know, what do you do? Whereas in, uh, investing in, you know, hard assets, whether it be, you know, something that, you know, where I'm running the company. And so, you know, I can move left and right, um, you know, going through business cycles and, you know, make decisions that, that I can control. Um, and then likewise, you know, investing with you know other people that I get to know, like, and trust, you know, that also have control, you know, will do the same. So, you know, I'm a big fan in general of, Instead of being on uh, investing in Wall Street, invest on Main Street.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, so that in your story, and, and we are in the think book, big book together. And we in are. your story there, yeah, you talked about being a contrarian, which I consider myself a contrarian as well. I love that word. So when you were in the process of shifting your mindset, but then also taking, start taking some actions towards divesting yourself out of the 401k, you started to get some pushback. Um, I would assume that that probably wasn't the most comfortable time in the whole wide world. But to be a contrarian, right? It's the ability to kind of see the, the the flip side of of what everybody else is kind of seeing. Can you kind of talk us through that? How you kind of maneuvered your way through that time frame?
0: So, going back to the 401k. So, you know, in 2008, you know, the market crashed, and the value of my 401k went down by about 60%. So again, this is all the money in the world that I had you know, earned, you know, to date. And, you know, I thought about moving it out and getting into rental real estate, but going back to, you know, like the fear and everything and not really, I think, figured out exactly what I was going to do. I was just kind of, you know, paralyzed of the inertia, not doing anything. And so then I just watched it go down and I was like, man, how did I let this happen again? And so I was like, well, I'm not going to do that again. So it took until 2012 for it to come back to par. So four years later, um, you know, in the meantime, I just kept learning and searching and finding, you know, trying to find out, you know, how to, you know, quote unquote, get started or, you know, something right. And that's when I got, you know, of course, introduced to multifamily. And so it was very clear to me that I needed some some capital to to start investing and the capital was in my 401k and I changed companies so I had access to it um if I wanted to and so I uh I divested of it and I paid the tax and the 10% uh stupidity tax on top of that and uh, got the money and everybody was telling me that I was absolutely crazy. Why would you ever do that? And I was like, well You know, it was I couldn't really explain it to them because they just just like me, they had no concept of, you know, investing in businesses because they were never exposed to that or taught that. And so um, because everybody I knew, you know, at that time, they were all, you know, other corporate guys. Right. So we all kind of grew up the same way and were taught the same way and thought the same way. So, yeah, they definitely thought I was crazy. And that's not been the only time people thought I've been crazy. you know, so but sometimes it's like, hey, is in a contrarian, it's like looking back, uh, that was probably the the second uh best financial decision I ever made. Um, which I already said the first one, actually, now I think about it. Yeah. Um, the first one was when I invested in my financial education and got a mentor. That's when, you know, all that stuff, you know, kind of came together. And then the second part of the execution was Investing in the 401k to have the capital to start.
1: So, the would you claim or would you say that the 2012 time frame from 2001 till 2012 was more learning on your own? But once you reached that 2012 time frame, was more of the where you really started taking it seriously that you were going to take the financial education and put it into action and then try to uh, create a plan for yourself. Is that is that basically how I see the time elapse for yourself?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I. I've been interested, you know, wanting to get started is was, was great. But, you know, like, I, you know, I said, there's, you know, fear of the unknown and this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, in 2012, you know, a lot of time had passed, a lot more, you know, pain and battle scars in the the corporate world had occurred. And, um, you know, just coming out of, my 401k coming back up to the the value after the 2008 crash, like all this stuff, I was like, I had, I I was, I was done. So you know, at that point, you know, then I really made a decision, and more importantly, started taking action and consistent asset action. So you know, I'm a big fan of Darren Hardy, and you know, he talks about uh, in his book The Compound Effect. You know, you can really achieve anything with just small, focused, consistent actions, you know, on a daily basis, and that's really true. uh, Because before, you know, it would be like, oh yeah, listen to the the radio on the weekend, and oh, isn't this interesting? You know, I'm learning stuff, but I'm not doing anything about it, right? So yeah, you definitely have to make a decision, or I should say, this would be the order: invest in your education reduce your risk and flatten your learning curve make a decision and then take some action because i see lots of folks that and like i was one of them right you know they they want to learn i love learning but you you have to have action in order to uh actually you know grow businesses and run businesses so take That's some action because, yeah
1: massive action right gotta gotta put the the information into action before it can give you some results for sure. So 2012, you have that kind of epiphany as far as you make that dedicated decision. You start taking some action. You start realizing that multifamily is probably where it to be as far as if you're going to get to the level of success as far as an investor. That's that's where you feel, I assume, that that's where you want to uh, start your process versus doing the smaller single family route, You know, the multiple doors, that kind of thing. Can you talk about the process of almost going back to the contrarian idea? Whereas you started off in that B and C class neighborhoods, I would say, right, and then also moving up into the larger, the more, uh, the newer, maybe would probably be the better term, into the A class. Can you talk up a little bit more as far as the the process for making the decision to start taking some action into your first, you know, deal or two, and then then make that progression into the uh, as you learn as you. Uh, gain more experience as you added to your team? You know what I mean? The, the progression to get you to where that in 2017, uh, 18-ish is when you were able to leave your W-2.
0: Yep, sure. Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, all along I had in my head, oh, well, rental real estate equals uh, single family homes, right? Because that's all I'd ever, you know, heard about. And then when I got exposed to multifamily, some of the things that really, really attracted me about it was that they're commercial assets, so they're valued as businesses based on how much net operating income they generate. Which, for people used to big companies, it's it's uh, similar to EBITDA. And so, if you can increase the net operating income of the of the uh, multifamily asset, it's worth more. Which is by far different from you know two single-family homes that are sitting you know next to each other you know, in a neighborhood, they're going to be worth about the same amount of money on comparative market analysis. It has nothing to do with whether a business and make money or not. So that was really interesting because you have more control because then you can, you know, go in and let's say a property is distressed, uh, you know, from a physical side and operational side, you can go in and inject some capital, you know, fix some things, uh, improve operations, you know, and through that, you know, people... You know, of course, are are willing to pay more in their rent for a, a nicer, safer place uh, to live. So, you know, it's it's a it's a win-win, you know, from that perspective. And then on the lending side, since they're also commercial properties, commercial loans. And so that's the other thing I found really interesting is it's mainly underwritten based on the property as a business. It's it's not so much about me as a guarantor, you know, signing in it like a recourse loan, like a regular mortgage or a car loan. You know, when you do that, it's based on, well, what is your income and what is your credit, right? Well, it's not that those things aren't important, but the most important thing is is the is the property stabilized? So as a business, is stabilized and uh is it making money or and there's an opportunity to have that property make more money? And then the last thing is. Um, on the leverage side is, you know, getting introduced to the idea of syndication or group purchases where you can pool people's uh, you know, money together and go buy a larger asset than you could have, you know, normally. So instead of thinking about, you know, a, a single family home, the first um, property that I actually invested in uh, was a 77 unit property, invested that as a, as a limited partner. And then uh later, well, within that year, then uh did more and more investments. That was a hundred and sixteen unit property. And then my first uh deal as a as a general partner, deal sponsor or lead investor, whichever you know, term you want to call it, but um the one actively putting things together and running it. So, you know, that was a 38 unit property and you know then from there you know fast forward and those were all B and C value adds so um you know I think properties you know C class properties may be built in the 60s and 70s maybe in you know a little bit more working class uh you know Workforce housing type neighborhoods and and B maybe built in the you know the 80s could be could be some 70s could be a little in the 90s so a little newer a little bit nicer and maybe the neighborhood's a little bit a little bit nicer. And then, you know, a class properties, you know, generally speaking, it's going to be, you know, the newest properties, um, and they're going to be in, you know, nice areas. So I went through that whole progression and, you know, from that first deal that was, you know, 900,000, you know, total to buy, it was, I, I, I lovingly would say it was, you know, a, a beautiful 1963 piece of crap. And, uh, you know, we bought it for thirteen thousand a door and put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And um, you know, we did a great job, and you know, we we did really really well on that in a relatively you know a short period of time. But um, you know, fast forward as cap rates had compressed across asset classes, and cap rates just a, a industry term that has something to do with valuation in uh, Multifamily, but basically, just think about um, they're all businesses. So, if I'm buying a business for a hundred bucks, uh, you know, per foot, right? Well, I'm just gonna use some, I'm making this up, but uh, for the same hundred dollars per foot, you'd probably rather buy a newer, nicer asset than an older, uh, less nice asset. Well, when the cap rates compressed, that's kind of what was happening, you're paying this, relative same price per pound for, um, older properties as newer properties. Now the barrier to entry is much higher, but, um, so, you know, I looked at that and I was like, well, I'd really like to, to move up to that. And also instead of, you know, putting Humpty Dumpty back together again and, you know, holding things for, you know, three to five years, you know, now when we look at an asset, it's, you know, we look at things ideally, we'd see it as a legacy asset, something we could Hold for a long period of time being, you know, 10 plus years. And instead of selling it and, uh, you know, paying the capital gains or tax on that, um, refinance it, you know, multiple times, you know, over time to where, you know, the idea would be is we increase the income on the property. So the property is worth more. Uh, we do a refinance because of that. The value of the property is higher. and We can we can get a cash out refinance, ideally and put some of the capital back in the property to take care of it and then the rest of it distribute you know to our investors. And so you know, ideally over' doing that a couple of times over a 10 year period, you know bring our basis um, you know from what we invested into it to down to zero or below zero. So now we basically own the property without having any money in it. So our risk is tremendously reduced. Those cash out refinances, um, the money that came out there as loan money so it's not taxable, it's not a tax event so we're reducing our risk over time in really high quality assets increasing our cash flow over time in really high quality assets and then those distributions from those uh, refinances we and our investors can take that money and go invest in other properties so we really get to the you know infinite return model which you know (laughs) i definitely can't take credit for for coming up with this the other thing was you know as, as i was in the industry longer i all people that were doing this 20 30 40 years or longer and that's what they would do they would buy you know good quality assets and good quality areas and just take care of them and keep rein- refinancing them and some I mean, of they've owned these these properties for decades and so it's a it's a proven it's a proven model and I was like well you know again I guess I'm a slow learner but I'm glad that uh you know Myers got open to that as well and um you know th- none of this happens like quickly but you know once once you've been into it for you know say 5 plus years it starts getting uh, a lot more interesting
1: for sure and you're so you threw around some terms there and then i that was a great explanation of of a lot of things there i just want to kind of plug a few holes possibly for the listener that might not have caught some of the things you were talking about but as far as the commercial versus residential that residential one to five, right, is different than the commercial. So once you step up into that six unit or more, it becomes a commercial, which then it's the financing is based on the property itself, not necessarily you as an individual, which completely changes the game in terms of, how you look at the numbers, how you evaluate the deals, that's for another date. I just wanted to make sure that I, I pointed that out one more time because you did say that. And that's that's super, super important. So that can be multifamily properties, that could be a commercial property as far as a um industrial property. It can be, we were actually in the process of looking at a a wedding venue space that was gonna be considered a commercial property. So it's the business that's underlying the property is the most important part. Now, yes, my wife and I or you or whoever's going to be the operator needs to bring some value to operate that business, right? But at the end of the day, the financing piece is based on the operation of the business itself. So that's fantastic. And then you talked about cap rates, right? So capitalization rates, and we won't get into a lot of that here, but you're talking about those are being compressed. So as rates kept being lowered throughout with the Fed and that kind of thing, the value to go out and buy a B or C class property that that value was diminishing because those cap rates kept coming down, which made it look more attractive to buy in a class property. Is that in a nutshell, kind of uh, looking at that way or is there a yeah. no, way to explain? Let that me way?
0: clarify. Let me clarify Sorry. one thing. So overall cap rates have gone down, which does push up values across the board in um, markets like Dallas, Fort Worth and many other markets say across the Sun Belt because jobs are coming here, people are moving here, and so they need places to live. And so um, that's created more demand, which is, uh, you know, allows the the businesses to, to grow, which increases the value, right? So that's kind of across the board, but between the asset classes, so instead of, you know, say, you know, make something up, you know, 10, ten years ago, a C-class in, um, you know, DFW might have been an eight to nine cap rate and an A class, you know, a four to five. So you've got, you know, four just say four percent difference between the two, and that amount went down to, you know, like half a percent, right? So um, you 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 just didn't you just didn't have the ability to buy the older, lower quality properties at a much bigger discount as compared to A-class, that, that shrunk down. Does that makes sense?
1: Yes, it does. It does, absolutely. So I appreciate you clarifying that even a little bit more. So with that said, so then you saw that that compression taking place and you went out and actually within the last, is it been the last 12 months, maybe 18 months or so that you've went out there and through, uh, as far as syndication and that type of thing, acquired a beautiful property. I want to talk a little bit about that, if we can, about the property that you acquired there in that DFW area. And kind of what you saw, what you, uh, uh, you've put a lot of time and care into really bringing that that property even more value than, than what was was when you first bought it. So we've had a conversation about that. Is is there any way you can and tell us a little bit about how you, so it's the evolution of, of the 2012 when you discovered all this, right? 2000 and, you know, as you kept going and now we're to the point where yeah you've you've now uh through some help with some partners and some teammates and that type of thing have acquired this beautiful property that i've seen pictures of folks and it's it's a beautiful beautiful place that i would love for you to kind of just touch base a little bit more about about that and how that has evolved
0: sure you're happy to yeah so you know once i talked about kind of the mindset of like okay you know I'm, i'm changing focus a little bit still in multifamily but i'm gonna go after A-class deals, which was different from, you know, all of my peers going back to kind of the contrarian view, but not different from the people, as I mentioned, that have been doing it a long time, right? So, you know, we were able to uh, develop some good relationships with the brokers, and we uh, we bought an asset that was built in 2016, podium-style build in uh, Uptown Dallas, right off 75, which is a a really nice, really nice area of, of Dallas. Um, a lot of people, they, they want to live there. Uh, there's a lot of walkability in that area. So, you know, 179 units, six story, uh, mid rise. And so, you know, you, you look at the building. I remember I was across the street before we were buying it with a group of folks. We were kind of having an educational event and, um, I was like, you know, looking at the property, I'm like, hey, does that look like a value-add deal to you? And everybody's was like, no. I'm like, that's absolutely a value-add deal, and I'll tell you why. It's a beautiful asset uh, already, but there was a lot of new deliveries in the submarket over the last three years. And so there have been a lot of concessions, which have kept rental rates down. And we had just come out of that, you know, and we saw that. And so there was a big opportunity to uh, push the rents in that building. And so um that's why we liked it. And then as we were looking at it, we're like, well, okay, you know, we do it is time to paint the stucco, which is more of a, you know, we just need to do it to care for the building, right? But while we're doing that, you know, we engage with a designer and an artist. And we're like, hey, you know, we'd really like to, you know, do some kind of mural, big mural in the building to To make it stand out, so instead of it being just a another A-class building, you know, in Dallas, you know, it becomes you know one of Dallas's newest landmarks, right? Iconic landmarks. That was the idea, and that you know people would be attracted to it, and um, you know, kind of having this whole idea of a you know boutique hotel feel to it, and so um, you know we, we did that, and. There's a six story uh really cool geometric mural there, and we have the same elements that come inside and so you can see this this mural off of seventy five easily both in day, but then at night we lined it out with uh some some blue um LED perimeter lighting and then some up and down lights and so I mean it's it's really cool you know I can always tell people now like if if they live in Dallas and I talk about the building and they can They can easily identify which building that is as opposed to just being another building that's you know out there and we took that same design theme inside and um you know refreshed several things, and then you know we also had been implementing um our own uh, high speed internet circuit in there where the entire building is is being wired. It's a really, really cool uh cutting edge technology as well as we implemented. Smart home technology. So, from a resident perspective, um, you know they it's all keyless, and they have you know a smart thermostat. But then they can also add smart plugs if they want, or smart blinds, or you know any any of that stuff that they want. Um, But then we also put uh, leak detectors in uh, the wet areas, which is more of a for protecting the asset standpoint because you think you got a six-story building and you know water starts in the sixth floor nobody's home you know it could cause a lot of damage just keep going down and so we've actually already been able to uh you know stop some leaks and things that you know say a toilet overflowed or a, you know washing machine you know overflowed or you know backed up or something like that we're able to you know turn it off you know immediately before damage happens so uh but all of that together. Uh again, you know, you look at the building and you're like, oh, wow, it's a beautiful asset. What could you possibly do to this thing? But then when you look at where it was before to where it is now, um, you know, the residents are, are wild. The area is wild. Uh, and that's translated into people. People want to live there and they're willing to pay, you know, a premium for, you know, living in a, a cool building. So and that's actually- what we did
1: increase the value, the net operating income, right? The value of the property based on that cap rate, then increases in value, right? Hence, right. And then we go back to rents and repeat, but potential cash out refinance in the future or whatever you decide, right? Because you're in control. You decide how to allocate the assets and the asset itself, right? Then that's where it really becomes fun. So good for you. I've seen pictures of it. I've not seen it in person. And I look forward to potentially seeing it in person sometime soon. But I just wanted to have you described that because it's, from the pictures that I've seen, it's absolutely gorgeous. So good for you to have done that. So Alan, this has been a super valuable conversation. I knew that it would be, I love the uh, the, the terminology that we're kind of throwing around. It's probably a little bit more detailed, maybe than some of the, the guests that I've had on in the past, but I love the, I love talking about it. I love trying to get people to understand how to take that financial education and then putting it into, into action to get some results, exactly the what you've done yourself. So as we wrap up here, is there any other final words of of wisdom that you'd like to share for anybody that uh might just be on the fence? obviously we might be uh the, the time of this episode as far as this recording kind of mid to late you no know, uh, march of twenty twenty three maybe a little turmoil going on out there, a little uncertainty anything like that that uh is there any kind of uh, words of wisdom that you might be able to share with folks that might be a little uncertain
0: sure i mean the fun i would say um you know we're blessed here in the Dallas Fort Worth area um and other areas when you look at i mean this is just my my market so that's why I talk about it but there's you know plenty of good markets but the reality is, is that people have to have a place to live and if you look at you know where the one way u-hauls are going to <laughs> like from the coasts or or down to Texas or uh you know or to Florida or some of the other you know sunbelt states where a lot of companies have been relocating which is pushing you know jobs there that job growth is really what uh you know creates housing demand which creates you know need for um what we provide and so you know because of that um it's become even more evident to really pay attention to the the market that you're in and you can invest in a market that's not necessarily the market that you live in um you know just because you live there doesn't mean it's a a good market, right? Because there could be better markets, and that's kind of the power of, you know, investing as a as a passive investor with somebody that's, you know, kind of, you know, doing all the work. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's good to be uh, cognizant of going out there, but um, if you if you're paying attention to the fundamentals, you know, is it is it a good area? Do we have you know good demographics? You know, is it a business friendly state? and and uh just doing good due diligence and underwriting um you know as an operator you know there's always deals to be had you know as as long as the seller is willing to sell at a price that's that uh that makes sense and so if it doesn't you know that's when you have to you know pass and move on but high level you know i'm just like you know, anybody else. And um, and I'll just, I've said it, but i reiterate it, you know, whatever it is that you think you might like to do, I would just encourage you to invest in your education. You know, if there's a cost to that education, uh, you know, if it's going to reduce your risk and your learning curve and help you uh, avoid making some mistakes, I would highly recommend that. And then, uh, you know, once you, once you're informed, make a decision. And then just start taking consistent action. It's much better to take uh you know 30 minutes, an hour a day of consistent action on a on a goal than, you know, like, oh, I've got a, to use an analogy. I've got a novel and I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna read, you know, the whole thing in, you know, one weekend or end up reading half of it and put it away for three months and come back to it. That that's that's not gonna be nearly as effective. So that's uh that's what I say. Just get out there and go make it happen. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. Well, folks want to learn more about Alan as far as uh, the any resources that you might have. Want well, just learn more about you, right? As far as uh, what you have to offer. I know you're always potentially looking for new deals out there in the marketplace. Uh, what is the best place for people to reach out to you or to learn more about you, Alan?
0: Probably the easiest thing would just be to go to alanstewart.com, and that's A L A N. Stewart.com, and that actually forward to my um, business page with my business partner, and you know we have some some resources and things on there, and uh, you know we also have a YouTube channel that's connected there. You Can learn a little bit more of uh, you know what we do, um, but that'd be you know the best way. And then also um, email would just be info at alanstewart.com.
1: Fantastic. Well, folks, this has been a episode that's been full of wisdom, full of nuggets. Uh, If you're interested in looking into getting into the uh, investment space, uh, real estate space, the multifamily space, Alan's the go-to guy. Uh, He's become a great friend of mine. He's these conversations we have them intense. We we get right. We have an opportunity possibly to get together, you know, two or three times a year. We always have fun having these conversations, and it's just a wealth of knowledge. I encourage you, go out there, get out and find Alan. Look for Alan on on the internet. Get a hold of his resources. Start your education process if you haven't already. Start taking some dedicated action on a daily, consistent basis. And who knows, you might be right where he is sitting today. So Alan, I appreciate your time today. It's been a lot of fun. I look forward to connecting with you again real soon.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yes.
1: And folks, we'll connect with you again here real soon. Uh, Until the next episode. Bye now. Thank you for joining me on the Rich Mind Podcast. I hope you found a ton of value in this episode. If so, I'd really appreciate a five-star review. And you can also share it with your family and friends. And as my mentor, Jim Roden, shared with me, in order to have more, you must first become more. And in order to become more, you must work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So go out there today. And work harder on yourself to become more and build the life of your dreams. Until next time, my friends.